And I'm thankful to see each of you here this evening. Certainly thankful for you who are home folk who came back. You weren't getting a pig in a poke. You knew what you're getting and you still came back. <laughs> I appreciate that. Also glad to see dear sister Judy Basham, friend of family for many years. Grateful when she comes out to be with us as we're here. I've been so glad to see Clinton Robin McCann. Uh, I think Clint has known me the longest of anybody in this room. I've uh, been over 41 years and he's had that displeasure. <laughs> We're certainly glad, though, to see both of, both of you. And thankful for each of you here, my brothers and sisters. I'm glad for our time. I want to invite you to continue to look with me in the book of Psalms as we, particularly with the view to Thanksgiving Day coming this Thursday, uh, we want to focus on some of those reasons for thanksgiving, causes for celebration that we have as God's people. And I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 107 this evening, please. Psalm 107. I'll read the psalm in your hearing in its entirety of the outset. It's a 43-verse psalm, so I invite you to buckle up and just let's read right on through. And then we'll look together at its contents. By way of a title, I would give you Marvelous Mercy. Marvelous Mercy. And you'll perhaps pick up as we read this psalm to see some of where that is drawn from in the psalm. Psalm 107. We read there in verse 1, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. And He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He hath broken the gates of brass, and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saveth them out of their distresses. He sent His word and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men, and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving, and declare His works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. 
They mount up to the heaven. They don't go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So He bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt Him also in the congregation of the people, and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. He turneth rivers into a wilderness, and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness, for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turneth the wilderness into a standing water, and dry ground into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for habitation, and sow the fields and plant vineyards, which may yield fields of excuse me, fruits of increase. He blesseth them also, so that they are multiplied greatly, and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon princes and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction and maketh him families like a flock. The righteous shall see it and rejoice and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Trust that our God will add His blessing tonight to this portion of His Word of Truth as we think together about Psalm 107 this evening. I invite you to just join me again as we pray and ask God's blessing on His Word. Father, we draw near in the name that is above every name, the worthy name of Thy beloved Son. Father, as we do, we give honor to You for Him. We thank You for what we've sung even tonight, Father. Those words of of how great Thou art. And when I think that You, Your Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. Father, we do sing in praise to Thee how great Thou art. And as we look tonight to Thy Word, we pray Thy Spirit would aid us, Father, in our consideration of these things that we've read. And grant us light and liberty in reading and appreciating and appropriating them to our lives. And Father, may it be ours by thy grace to praise thee for thy marvelous mercy. We pray in Christ's worthy name. Amen. Well, again, we look at these words of Psalm 107 by way of a title I give you, Marvelous Mercy. And I do so because of a word that is threaded throughout this psalm. It's more seen in the Hebrew text. But I have a feeling except for hallelujah that we mentioned this morning, you've probably not spoken much Hebrew lately. Hallelujah, when you say that, you are saying Hebrew, praise ye the Lord. But uh, the word that we mentioned this morning in, uh, I believe, the, the second hour, the word chesed. That word you got to say right with a, you know, clear your throat. Kind of like the way the Germans like to say Bach, you know, Johann Sebastian Bach. You clear your throat right and you get it. Sometimes you have to do that anyway. But that word, Hesed, is a word that is translated mercy in verse 1 of Psalm 107. Then it occurs four additional times as the word goodness in our King James Version. It's found as a refrain really to this song as we have these 
four pictures that are given to us, four vignettes that give us a picture of what the marvelous mercy of God is like. Now if you just notice with me there, in uh, verse 6 we read the words, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. And then verse 8 adds, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. There's that word chesed in the Hebrew Scriptures. And for His wonderful works to the children of men. We find those, that phrase again, verse 13, Then they cried unto the Lord. Similar, very similar, if not word for word with verse 6. And then in verse 15 we find the phrase, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. If you drop down to the words of verse 19, again that thought, in the midst of the picture that's painted, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And we have that phrase in response, verse 21, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. One more time yet, that final picture that's given, verse 28, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. And the response, verse 31, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Each time that word goodness appears, it's that same word translated mercy in verse 1. Now, I'm not sure why our King James translators chose to give a different translation. It's not inappropriate because God's mercy is a display of His goodness. The final time, though, that it's used is found in the last verse of the psalm, verse 43. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. That word loving kindness is the same word translated mercy and goodness. Here in the Hebrew text, it's in the plural. Loving kindnesses. And in some measure, that's appropriate because we've had, if you will, stacked one upon another those four pictures that present to us what the mercy of God is like, what that marvelous mercy is like. And when we read those four refrains, those four choruses that mark those four pictures, four vignettes, it, we, we find that call, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Wonderful works really echoing what that goodness or mercy is. For you see, the mercy of God is marvelous mercy. Or if you want to put it another way, it's amazing grace. Marvelous, amazing, they're synonyms. And grace and mercy in many respects are synonyms. Now sometimes theologians will distinguish mercy and grace in this way. Mercy is God withholding what I deserve. Grace is God giving what I don't deserve. And theologically I think that's a good way to think about it. But really in the scriptures, mercy and grace are often equated. In the Old Testament there's more mention of mercy. In the New, more mention of grace. Not that either one is left out of either testament. But there's that focus on the mercy of God, His chesed, His great love toward us. And Psalm 107 is celebrating that. Now what's interesting about Psalm 107 is the Hebrews divided the book of Psalms into five books. 
Now, one reason they probably did that is because you remember there are five books of Moses. We call them the Pentateuch. Psalms 1 through 41 formed the first, first book. Then Psalms 42 through 72 formed the second book. Psalms 73 through 89 formed the third book. The fifth, fourth book, excuse me, is Psalms 90 through 106. And then the last book is Psalm 107 to Psalm 150. Psalm 107 marks the beginning of the last book of the Psalter, the five books that make it up. Now, I believe that God was working through those who divided those books in the Psalms. God was giving us that because the book of praises is like the books of the law. It's an instructive book for God's people to know how to praise Him. And this Psalm particularly is that, especially that refrain, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. Boy, that's a great verse for Thanksgiving Day, isn't it? One that you and I really could take to heart, not only Thanksgiving Day, but every day of our lives. Oh, that I would praise the Lord for His goodness and His marvelous works to the children of men. I want you to notice how Psalm 107 begins. It seems to be a response to what God has done, particularly for Israel, in bringing them back from the nations to which they've been scattered. Notice, please, those opening words again, verses 1 through 3. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. That's another good Thanksgiving Day verse, isn't it? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Now sadly, that's happened to Israel today. They've been scattered. They've been scattered all over the world, all over the globe. But according to the prophetic scriptures, the day's coming when they're going to be regathered. And when they're regathered, they're going to be brought to faith in the Lord Jesus, God's Messiah. They're going to recognize Him as their Messiah. They're going to realize that they pierced Him. And they're going to sing this song. They're going to rejoice in psalm about what God and grace has done for them. Now, in reference to what has happened there that verses 1 through 3 is praising God for, if you would, go back with me to the last verses of Psalm 106 for a minute. Notice, please, verses 47 and 48. Psalms 105 and 106 give us in a brief compass the history of Israel. And as you read those last words of Psalm 106, verses 47 and 48, notice this prayer. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen or nations to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. And then the benediction, verse 48. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting and let all the people say amen. Praise ye the Lord. Now notice as Psalm 107 begins, it's focusing on an answer to the prayer of verse 47. Save us, O God. Save us, O Lord our God. Gather us from among the heathen. One day God's going to answer that prayer for Israel. And when that happens, Israel is going to be singing a song about God's marvelous mercy, God's amazing grace, and they're going to describe what it's like. Now here's the kicker for you and me who know Him. We don't have to wait for Israel to sing that song. We can sing it now. 
Because the marvelous mercy that God has shown to us, the amazing grace that God has displayed to us, and as far as I know, everyone in here is a Gentile. I don't think we have any Jewish brethren among us tonight. Don't think we did this morning either. Little uncommon in Gentile congregations. But we as Gentiles are singing the same song about God's marvelous mercy. And we do so really in those same four pictures that are painted of what God's mercy is like. Of what God's grace, what God's amazing grace is to those of us who know Him. I want us to walk through them together and then to look at the conclusion. The introduction to the song really is verses 1 through 3. A call to praise the Lord for that marvelous mercy that He shows. But then we have those four pictures, those four vignettes. The first one we see in those words of verses 4 through 9. And it's a picture of the wilderness wanderer. He's lost in the wilderness. Good picture of the sinner in his lost, wandering condition. Let's just read it again, please. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. He led, And He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. These words bespeak what God does in grace for every sinner He saves. There we were in our lost condition. There we were, wandering. No permanence about life. No stability. No city to dwell in. And yet God in grace, as by His Spirit, He moved us to call on Him. For the Spirit is the Spirit of grace and supplications. We called on Him and God brought us and He's still bringing us on our way to a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I'm feeling a little happy on that point. (laughs) Because you and I who are here are living as pilgrims in this world. We're, we're just passing through. Now the thing is, everybody's just passing through. Not just those who are pilgrims. The only problem is, those who aren't pilgrims, they're just vagabonds. Homeless people. You and I who are saved, we're pilgrims. When I was preaching one time up in Lexington, Kentucky, Brother Dennis Ward, a black preacher friend whom I mentioned from time to time, uh, he had us come to preach in uh, what was their harvest feast in the month of November. We usually go up for a weekend and preach and teach there and enjoyed it so much. One time, uh, our black brethren sometimes orchestrate their service a little bit different from us. And I'm not just talking about the amens either. Uh, but the deacons often will have a what they call a devotional period before the formal service begins. And when the formal service begins, the devotional period will end, led by the deacons. And the pastor will assume generally the oversight of the service. Well, we were walking in as the devotional period was ending this particular Sunday morning. And uh, they were singing happy birthday to an older sister in the church. She was seated in about the uh, next to the front row. And as they finished singing happy birthday, they had her stand to recognize her for her birthday. When they finished singing happy birthday, she pointed her finger up to the sky and she said, if I'm not here next year, I want you to know where I'll be. 
Well, Brother Ward never missed a pastoral opportunity. He got up to the pulpit immediately and he said, I'm always glad when a person can leave a forwarding address. <laughs> and child of God, the good news is, you and I who were once wanderers, lost in the wilderness of sin, we've been made now to be pilgrims who are headed for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker's God. I'm not any longer living out there solitary by myself. For while I travel through this land, headed toward a city which has foundations, builder and maker's God, I'm headed there in a sense of His presence even now. Oh no, sometimes I don't always sense it, but He's still with me. Because when I don't sense Him, that doesn't mean He's lost me. Aren't you glad? I'm glad for those times when I sense His presence. But even when He's not there, it's like that footprint story you've heard about, I know. A person saw those footprints, remember, two sets, and then they saw the roughest times of their lives, one set. And they said to the Lord, Lord, I can't believe you left me. Oh, He said, my child, I didn't leave you then. That's when I was carrying you. God is with us on our journey and we who were once wilderness wanderers lost to God. Marvelous mercy has now made us pilgrims. Now made us to be those who though we've not yet arrived we know by God's grace where we're going. We know it's only by grace that we're going. We know it's only by that marvelous mercy by that amazing grace. Brothers and sisters that's the the first picture that's painted there of of the wilderness wanderer. But the next one is of the captive prisoner, of the one who's bound by his sins. Notice it please as we pick up there in the words of verse 10. For such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Here's here's a, a second picture of what the deliverance that God gives His people looks like. That redemption, that purchasing out of and removal from sin. It's a picture of the one who's bound, the one who's in irons, enslaved by his or her sin. That's one thing that so many in the world, and we ourselves didn't realize when we were in sin, that sin binds. I remember years ago when I was a young believer, they had a crusade in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Brother Bill Penley from the mountains of North Carolina was a preacher that week. One evening as he mentioned Samson, he said Samson is a good picture of what sin does. You remember when Samson got that crew cut style as one person put it. Delilah had his head shaved when he finally revealed the source of his strength. And the Philistines bound him blinded him and set him to grinding. And he said that's a good picture of sin. Sin binds, sin blinds, and sin grinds. 
That picture of sin is well seen here. Sin binds. Sin makes a person a captive. Some people would say, I don't want to serve God. I don't be a slave. That's foolish because they're a slave already. Guided by Satan's artful treachery. Bound in chains of sin. And that's the reality that God's people know about because when we come to know real freedom because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And knowing true freedom in the Son, we realize how foolish we were in our captivity. Because as it says in those words, particularly there of verse 11, we rebelled against the words of God and we contemned. Notice it's not condemned, but there's a T in it. We contemned. We held in contempt the counsel of the Most High. We thought we could live life on our own. We thought we could live life without the Word of God. We thought we could get along fine without His direction. And we came to see how foolish that was because I need the Word of God. I need His Word to guide me. I need it to be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And bound in my sin, I had no taste for that. I love the picture of what is here because it seems so many songs come to mind while I'm preaching it. One brother, C.S. Grogan, wrote from down in Sanford. I don't know if y'all know Brother Gary Locklear. He used to go to Bible camp with us up there in Hillsville, Virginia. Dwayne went with us one year, I know. Judy's son, Dwayne. Brother Locklear used to sing some of Brother Grogan's songs. Uh, Lindy Clear used to sing them. Uh, I need no mansion here below. But one of them was, I was in sin's prison. Oh, so dark and cold. Just a lost sheep wandering from the Savior's fold. Shepherd's fold, excuse me. But the door flung open. Jesus said to me, I have signed your pardon. You may now go free. We were enslaved in sin. Mr. Wesley caught it well when he said it this way. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Aren't you glad he had the key to your cell? I was bound in sin. I was in the darkness and dungeon of sin and I was happy there. But the Lord Jesus Christ passed by and I've been set free. That's the picture of this redemption here, brothers and sisters, that is given. By the way, Mr. Wesley, when he wrote that, he said, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. You know what a quickening ray is? That's a life-giving ray. Because you see, Mr. Wesley paints a good picture of that dungeon of sin. I wasn't just bound, but I was also a corpse. And what did he do? God sent his son and the Lord Jesus Christ. As Mr. Moody said, the Lord Jesus Christ never met a funeral, but he ruined it. You know, that's true. Every funeral the Lord Jesus Christ met, He ruined because you you can't have a funeral without a corpse. He raised Jairus' daughter. He raised the widow of Nain's son. He raised Lazarus. 
Brothers and sisters, that's the power of the gospel. John gives that resurrection of Lazarus particularly as a sign, a picture of what grace does for the sinner. And that is what Psalm 107 is telling us. He does that, sets the captive free, breaks the prison bars, brings us out of sin's prison. We come to know the grace of God, that wonderful, that marvelous mercy. Let me ask you to go on with me, please. And here we have the picture of the the sin-sick dying soul in verses 17 and following. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saveth them out of their distresses. He sent His word and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men, and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing here's another picture of the deliverance the redemption that God brings to sinners one day he'll bring it to Israel one day this will be their song of testimony but we who know him now this can be our song of testimony that we were sin sick And in our sin-sick, dying state, we were going down to the pit. Now that's not found so much here as it is in what I believe was probably words that God used to give the psalmist these words from Job chapter 33, words on the lips of a young man named Elihu. Some of you remember him. Job's three friends had done their best to say, Job, you've been a hypocrite. That's why you're suffering all the things you've suffered. And... uh, Job had to say, not so, not so. But brothers and sisters, the, the, uh, this young man piped up and he, he was angry with Job's free friends because they had not made their case against Job even though they accused him. And then as well, <clears throat> he was upset with Job because Job had justified himself rather than God. Those brothers and sisters, the bottom line is God's always right. Even when I can't see how He's right, I know He's right. That's got to be our testimony. Let me ask you to turn back with me to Job 33 quickly to notice some of the parallels to the picture of of, uh, Psalm 107 there in those verses 17 and following. Job chapter 33. And notice the words of Elihu here. Let's just pick up please at verse 14 of Job 33. For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of man, and sealeth their instruction. Why? That he may withdraw man from his purpose, and hide pride from man. Now notice what God in grace does. He keepeth back his soul from the pit, and his life from perishing by the sword. He is chastened also with pain upon his bed, and the multitude in his bones with strong pain so that his life aboreth bread and his soul dainty meat his flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen and his bones that were not seen stick out yea his soul draweth near unto the grave and his life to the destroyers if there be a messenger 
with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand to show unto man his, I believe God's uprightness here is meant. Then he is gracious unto him and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. What's the result of that? His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God and he will be favorable unto him. And he shall see his face with joy for he will render unto man his, I believe God's righteousness in view here. He looketh upon men and if any say I have sinned and perverted that which was right and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit and his life shall see the light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man. Those words of Job 33, I believe, well illustrate in a fuller way what Psalm 107 saying. And the pivot is, as this man with sickness is being chastened by God for his transgressions. And not all sin is the result of that, by the way. I want to make that clear. No, that's not the case. But in this case, that's what happened. And this man's going down to the pit. But in the midst of that, there's one among a thousand, a mediator, an interpreter, who stands and says, deliver him from going to the pit. A ransom's been found. Brothers and sisters, that's the good news of the gospel. Sinners don't have to go down to the pit. Why? Because a ransom's been found. A ransom. A ransom that Christ made Himself to be when He gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 2. A ransom that He paid so that we might be delivered and brought out. We might experience, as I love that picture of Job 33, is it at that Pivot point. After the ransom's found, the man's delivered. His flesh turns like a child. He's restored to the days of his youth. You know what that sounds like? Somebody who's been born again. Hallelujah. The work of the Spirit of God that makes people new. Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. That's the grace of God in the gospel. That's amazing grace. That's marvelous mercy. Go back with me please to Psalm 107 and notice the, that final picture, that, that fourth one that I believe is probably my favorite of all of them. I appreciate all of them, mind you. But, but, but I like this one in Psalm 107 because of the picture that it gives of the lost at sea, the sea-tossed sailor. Sure and certain to go down to his death. Notice it please, beginning at verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So He bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, and for His wonderful works for the children of men. Let them exalt Him also in the congregation of the people, and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. Here the picture again is of sailors at sea, mariners, if you want to use the word of Jonah 1, concerning those who had Jonah on board. 
By the way, he wasn't the best passenger to have on board ship at that particular time. But that's all right. The Lord dealt with that, didn't He? There was a renegade prophet on board. God threw him over. Now, they had them to do it. They did it. But God ordered it. God appointed it. And God had a... Excuse me. God had a submarine voyage planned for... Not in a submarine, but in a whale. Had a submarine voyage planned for Jonah. A little bit different picture here, though. We have... Mariners, sailors who are in a storm, sea-tossed. You can see the picture of the sea rising, the wave falling. These men trying to navigate through that, they can't do it. A good picture of what was recorded in John 6, but not only in John 6. It's seen as well in the words of the Gospels uh, elsewhere, the synoptics. The picture of the sailors, Mark chapter 6 records it and says, The Lord Jesus sent His disciples away after the feeding of the 5,000. He'd been seeking to have some time in prayer with the Father. He's finally going to get it. He sends them on ahead. He dismisses the crowd. And then He goes up to pray. And while He's on the mountaintop praying, Mark 6.48 says, He saw them rowing. They left that evening. In the fourth watch of the night... Evening, first watch, second watch, third watch, fourth watch. From about 3 to 6 a.m., they're still in the midst of the sea. No progress made. Why? Because a storm has beset them. Now remember, four of those apostles were seasoned salts. They'd been on the Sea of Galilee before, but there's no delivering themselves from this storm. And then the Lord Jesus shows up. They think it's a ghost. He says, it is I, or literally in the Greek text, I am, be not afraid. They welcome Him on board. He gets on board and John records an often noticed miracle incident there. They're immediately at harbor. I think it was an Einsteinian quantum leap. I may have told you that before, but I I don't know much about physics, but I believe it was a quantum leap. That ship went from where it was in the water to port immediately by the power of God. It's a good picture, though, brothers and sisters, of what happened to us. We were in a storm, a squall that threatened to take us down to hell. The Lord Jesus Christ, in mercy, came to where we were, and He's delivered us. And now He's told us, like He told those disciples, let us go to the other side. Now, sometimes storms may overtake us again in life, brothers and sisters. But may I remind you of the clear word of the Savior. His word to us is, let us go to the other side. So when Jesus says that, guess where you're going? Don't take a rocket scientist. He said, let us go to the other side. That's where we're headed. By the grace of God, that's where we're going. Now, I realize those disciples were were thinking differently. I believe they were convinced they were about to come fish food. (laughs) Not seafood, but fish food. (laughs) I'm convinced that. And yet, brothers and sisters, they were brought by grace to their desired haven. One day we're going to reach home. One day we're going to come to our desired haven by His grace. He said, let us go to the other side. He met with us in that storm that we were engulfed in. Storm of sin and wrath. Now let me just say quickly before we move on to the conclusion of this psalm, the reality of what has happened 
for us that we can testify of in these words of Psalm 107. We were the wilderness wanderer. We were the one bound in the chains of our sin. We were the ones who were taken by sickness. It would carry sin, sickness. It would carry us down to the pit. We were the ones who were as well those in the storm of sin and of wrath that would have engulfed us for all eternity. The reason that we've been delivered. The answer really is very clearly found in what we sang already this evening in that third stanza of how great thou art. And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. You see... The reason that God's people are delivered by the work of grace is because of what Christ at the cross endured. He was treated like that wilderness wanderer. He was treated like that one bound in sin. Not that he had any sins of his own, but the shackles of our sin he took upon himself so that he might become for us our sin bearer and substitute as well. The sickness of my sin engulfed him so that he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The storm of wrath encircled him as well that day at the cross. That's why he cried out those words. That's why he cried out, I thirst. Why? Because as our substitute, he was paying the debt he did not owe for us who owed a debt we could not pay. Because of that, We can praise the Lord for His goodness, for His marvelous mercy, for His amazing grace. Now what the psalmist does in conclusion in verses 33 through 43 is the psalmist speaks about God's power and really a recap, a summary of what He's done, particularly for that wilderness wanderer. But then there's somewhat of a cycle that marks it. In verses 33 through 38, you have God's blessing as He gives His people fruitfulness in the turn that He brings to their lives. But then in some measure, verses 39 through 41 speak about the unturning of that, the upturning of that when God's people had sinned. Israel has experienced that. When we fail to follow the Lord as we ought, we experience His chastening hand upon us. He minishes us and brings us low. Why does He do that? Because He loves us. Loves us too good to let us go our own way. Aren't you glad? I'm glad for those words of Hosea chapter 2 where it speaks about God's dealing with Israel when she was running after other lovers. And God said, Wherefore I will hedge up her way with thorns. I'm glad God knows how to make us run into a thorn bush when we're trying to follow after sin. I'm glad He knows how to deal with us so that His will looks sweeter to us than the world does. So it is that the Uh, psalmist ends this psalm with these words of verses 42 and 43. The righteous shall see it and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. That's going to be the final outcome of this world. Iniquity will have to put its hand over its mouth. 
But you and I who are his people, we're going to rejoice at all the ways of God and dealings of God with us. Then it ends on this note. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. If there's one thing in life we need to understand, it is his marvelous mercy. I want to read to you the the last words of the book of Hosea, the last verse. And I want you to keep that verse before you, verse 43 of Psalm 107, excuse me. And listen to these words that end the book of Hosea. Hosea 14.9 reads, Who is wise and he shall understand these things? Prudent and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the just shall walk in them. But the transgressor shall fall therein. The thought on what true wisdom is. A lot of ways that men define wisdom today. God defines wisdom in terms of the fear of the Lord. God defines wisdom in terms of the knowledge of the holy. That's what true wisdom is. Brothers and sisters, if we want some fodder for thanksgiving, if we want something to have some cordwood to burn so we can let a a fire of praise rise in our lives, then we need to consider the mercy of God. Consider the marvelous mercy, the amazing grace of God. And if we do it rightly, we'll come away saying, Wow, that's amazing. Or to use the words of some, that's marvelous. M-A-H-V-E-L. The mercies of God are marvelous. And His grace is amazing. And I'm afraid sometimes, as believers, we lose sight of that. Stories told about Gypsy Smith who preached among many in the early 1900s. Somebody asked him one time, <clears throat> they said, You preach as though, uh, you, you preach with such a fresh freshness about your preaching, as though it, it, you, you just were saved. How can you do that? And here's Gypsy Smith's answer. He said, I've never lost the wonder of it all. Child of God, I think that's what we need to recover. The wonder of it all. I remember hearing a brother tell me one time, uh, he, was down in, uh, he was down in the islands, St. Thomas, Charles de Mali down there, Bethel Baptist Church, been the mother church of many churches in the islands, in the uh, Caribbean. And a brother was preaching from Michigan. And while he was preaching, he mentioned the word election. And as he did, this brother who was telling me this said there was a a groundswell in the church. Kind of like the floor was vibrating. And all of a sudden, almost spontaneously, people began to cry out, Election! Election! He chose me! He chose me! And that's the grace of God right there. Marvelous mercy. He chose me. Marvelous mercy. He saved me. He saved me. And as Mr. Toplady wrote, I have to say, a debtor to mercy alone, of covenant mercy I sing. And that's what the psalmist is celebrating here in Psalm 107. The marvelous mercy, the amazing grace of our mighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May we never get over it, brothers and sisters. And may we never lose the wonder of it all. 
And if tonight there are any who listen or who listen remotely who haven't come to experience this grace, I would say to you, just do what they did here. Then they cried unto the Lord in their distress. And He answered. He heard. Hallelujah. Good news, brothers and sisters. Thank you, brother.